entrepreneurship. Yeah. The first company you start, you're probably going to fail. The second company, you might, you might win, but you're probably going to fail that one too. Yeah. And then the third one, I get it. This is why or how or what I need to do in order to be successful. So I personally relate a lot of things back in my life to the game of football and all the little nuances that it taught me. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and welcome back to an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast, a show where I delve into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, interviewing them and unpacking the psychology of their success. And this week's guest, he is the OG of athletes who leverage media and entrepreneurship while they currently played. He's also a good friend of mine. We met five years ago in New Orleans at the Super Bowl, where he was multitasking on site as an NFL network analyst and founder of his nonprofit, Bowtie Cause, where he was on vendor row teaching people about their cause and how they can participate. I remember thinking to myself, here we have a star 11-year NFL linebacker, one who won a national championship at Michigan with Charles Woodson and Tom Brady, He played in two Super Bowls, was the mentee of Michael Strahan. He hosted his own TV show, which I loved watching when it debuted. It was called Dahani Tackles the Globe. He's also an entrepreneur, but here's the key. Not just an athlete who invests or is a co-founder without labor. This guy was interviewing NFL players on one side of the room, then running over to the other side of the room, getting behind his company's booth to talk about bow tie cause. It was fascinating to me. I told Dahani on this show today that I partially designed the podcast to showcase athletes like him. It also took me like six months to book him, which I ribbed him about, and allow me to paint a clearer image of where we were. A couple months ago, Dahani and I got together in San Francisco to participate at Steph Curry and Andrea Godala's Player Tech Summit. Then we linked calendars and decided to meet next in D.C. for Fight for Children's annual Fight Night, which is an event that raises over $2.5 million annually to support children in the greater Washington metropolitan region who are in need which is where we'll pick up. Dahani booked his hotel. He hit me up. I brought Andrew's research, my laptop, and my suit for the evening. This week's sponsor is Away Travel. They're the perfect luggage company with a simple approach, creating special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way both you and I travel today. Listen, I'm actually sitting here on Venice Boulevard at my buddies Samir Chaudhry and Colin Rosenblum's studio recording this ad next to my Array Travel suitcase. I'm on the road for the next 10 days leading into the holidays, and there's absolutely no fear of torn, heavy, or utility-less issues. It's actually the opposite. My carry-on luggage is made with premium polycarbonate materials. It's lightweight, bends, but never breaks. The interior compression system makes packing super easy. It's TSA-approved, which is grossly underrated, in my opinion. It has a must-have 360-degree spinning wheel system, and it has a charging port for my phone or even my podcast unit. With a lifetime warranty and because Away is such a terrific Suiting Up podcast sponsor, we're offering our listeners $20 off a suitcase. I'm telling you, this is a great holiday gift. Recommend getting started now. Head to awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel, that's R-A-B-I-L, during checkout. That's awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel. Back to the show. We do dense research on our subjects. Research is good. On the talent. You're the talent, man. I, I, I Listen, guess. I told you. I told you we've known each other for See, a number of years. See, this is what I love about podcasts. They just start. <laughs> That's it. It's like, let's just roll right into it. We've known each other for a number of years, and I told you before I even launched this podcast that I 
conceptualized it based on your athlete entrepreneur career. And I was like, Dahani Jones, I want to launch this pod with him. And you're like, you know, come back to me when you get some other no, guests. No, I did not say that. <laughs> I absolutely did not say that. <laughs> I, like you, oftentimes just go do stuff even though some people might want to sort of temper the amount of time before they go in to do it. But right. I'm very proud that you're doing it. Yeah. And now I'm just a subject matter and a long list of amazing people that you've had on your podcast. So, yeah. And I'm humbled and I appreciate that um, that you – thought about me from the very beginning yeah i appreciate that you know it's it's like it's been a, a long journey i would say since you know college at michigan and and through the league and now seeing things how they've ultimately changed and how almost the power has gone back to the players mm -hmm. and gone back to people in terms of what they've been able to say and express when i was playing it wasn't necessarily like that and i think more people were stifled more than anything else you know people would call it focused on their craft and not being able to really express themselves. And I kind of sidestepped that and started to do a couple of things on my own. Yep. Um, but that was, that was a long time ago. While you were playing though. While I was playing. And it was, it was right at the, you know, right at the very beginning when the Apple, you know, when the iPhone came out, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? When the iPhone came out, life changed for everybody. That yep. was 2007. Right, yep. so I'd already been playing in the league for seven years, and then all of a sudden, apps started popping up. Then apps started popping up. Then all of a sudden, you have social started popping. Video, up. video content, media became the person's brand, and they started to be able to express themselves. And so you can't control that part, right? right? But everything else you could have controlled by virtue of traditional media. And so my life had always been dictated by traditional media, and I stepped into it and not been controlled. Yep. So it was kind of a, a precursor to where we are right now. Wow, that's really interesting. So the phone, the other person that I've had on this pod who talked about the impact of the phone was Gary Vaynerchuk, and that's when he bought into YouTube and then obviously invested in, in Facebook and Twitter and Uber looking at how all of our, if not all, most of our interactions. Unicorn, 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 unicorn. Right. Socially, from a commerce standpoint. <laughs> He's drinking wine right now, just thinking to himself, like, man, I, I can't believe it. It was so great. You know how he talks. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. so fast. You know, like, fast. oh, this wine is amazing. All, all the different companies I've invested in, it's great. But, you know, to have the foresight and to be able to do that, I mean, that's Which it sounds amazing. like you did as well. And and I will say, I, I, I've always appreciated our interactions and our conversations for your ability to communicate, you're you're far more calm under pressure, and we'll talk about. And not say that's Gary's, an evolution. I, I don't think I've always been calm, but you my, you my entire talk life. at a really reasonable you pace, have to. and you have to. As you get older, you learn that sometimes you know it's not always the things that you say, but how you say them. Mm -hmm. Right? Ninety nine, you know, ninety nine is a pretty big number, but like I'd say, ninety five percent of what's communicated is is given in a nonverbal fashion, right? And so the nonverbal keys and tones and the tonality of the way that you deliver your message, people people hear that. Yeah. And it's a big part of how to convince people, let them know that you're listening to them, be able to identify with them and be able to in, in some way, shape or form, you know, sympathize or empathize with what they're mm. going through. And that's really important, especially when you're trying to communicate to an audience in multiple arenas, right? Whether it's the world of athletics and sports um, or whether it's the world of business, uh, you know, I'd say it's my customer service voice. Did you <laughs> did you pick up on, as you got into business, more physical cues like eye contact and hand gestures or is it more just like this vibrant 
uh, vibe that you're giving out when when it's authentic to being a part of a conversation, being in a conversation fully? So I would say my background, you know, I was a Montessori kid. So I was always taught to observe my surroundings. And I actually didn't even understand what it meant to be a Montessori kid until I was actually up at Summit in Powder Mountain. I was riding in a van with this young lady. And all of a sudden, there was fog on the window and I started you know, just sort of drawing stuff. And then she all of a sudden looks over to me and she says, you know, are you Montessori kid? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why, why are you asking if I'm a Montessori kid? Like right. that, there's no, no context to Montessori when we're up on this mountain going to these different events, right? Yeah. And going to hear these different talks of which Summit represents. And she was like, but the way that I see you learning or sort of being curious within the world, I can tell that you're a Montessori kid. And so from that moment on, I actually was able to more clearly identify with how I was able to sort of move through the atmosphere of the world, right? And then I was able to go back and I was able to remember from my days when I was playing on the Giants and I was playing on the Bengals, I was playing on the Philadelphia Eagles, why I did the things that I did in the way that I did them and the manners that I did them at the University of Michigan, why I was the way that I was in high school, why I was the way that I was, right? And so that that was one of my life-changing moments. You ask a lot of questions too. I've picked up on that when we're in And I get a lot I get a lot of trouble for it. I get a lot of trouble for it. That's a problem though, right? I get a lot of trouble for what, it. What do you mean? How do you get in trouble for asking questions? Is it just like Does your coach like you to ask questions? That's that's a good point. Does your parents do your parents like you to ask a lot of questions? It's funny. Coach Petromala, who was on the podcast, the Hopkins head coach, he had said the biggest difference between his generation and millennials and now Gen Z's who's who's he is recruiting is that they ask the questions that he himself said they thought but were taught not to ask those questions. People don't like to be challenged. Yeah. And people ultimately they ultimately think that a, a question is a challenge. Because you're actually questioning what someone might be telling you or saying to you. And regardless if it's, you know, the context, whether it's sort of whatever it is, they, you know, there's, there's a, a level of, you know, feeling like you're attacking me because you don't take what I'm saying to be true. Ergo, mm-hmm. you have to ask me a question in order for me to define what I'm actually saying. But this is the new world of which we're, we're moving into. This is the new world that has been defined by the digital media and the, and the social and, and being able to be, have access to information that's out there. And, you know, going back to where we started the discussion, that wasn't a part of my world when I started playing football. Right. So, you know, in, in 2000, hmm. you think back, you know, I went to college 96 to 2000 at university of Michigan. I still remember MySpace and how big it was. Mm-hmm. Right. I've seen the evolution of, of Facebook and what that's become. I've seen the evolution of Twitter and what that has fueled. I've seen sort of the, the evolution of Instagram and all the rest of the platforms that have migrated and integrated together in order to allow people to voice their opinion in different ways, therefore questioning what is happening in the world, right? And I know we're going down a completely different rabbit hole, but if you think about from a sports perspective and the traditional nature of what football is, right? Playing football for 11 years, football has always been the same since the 50s. And now it's starting to be challenged, right? It's being challenged because the, the court of popular opinion has their perspective. The players have their perspective. The owners have their perspective. The management has their perspective. And the front office has their perspective. And the you know, 
products and people that are marketing with the league, they have their perspective. And mm-hmm. now we're just sort of in this massive fishbowl where everybody's asking questions. And I think it's going to take time for things to be sorted out. But that wasn't the case when I was playing. Yeah, two types of questions that you ask that I think we ask very often are the one that you had mentioned, which is more inquisitive, and you're talking about a product or service or a topic. And then the other one that I've always been really impressed with you by is the acknowledgement of, I don't know what that means, which is more of a vulnerable question that a lot of people ignore. And I take lessons from sitting in a room with you. I actually can lean on you because I know you'll ask the same question that I'm thinking. It's like, <laughs> what does that mean? What did you guys just say at this lunch Just meeting? Google it. Just right, Google it. Right. But I think that shows a level of humility as an investor, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as someone that uh, builds meaningful relationships, would you say? And I think that's missing in a lot of uh, regular conversations is the ability to admit like, hey, I don't know what that acronym, acronym means. Can you explain that? Or, or what does like FICA do? I have, I have no idea. Yeah. I have, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of times I do end up in situations where I ask the question because I don't know. Yeah. And I remember listening to a couple different businessmen. You know, I don't even remember who it was, but, you know, they'd say, you know, don't, don't bring acronyms into my, into my meeting because I may not know and somebody else may not know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, hmm. you know, I think, I think that curiosity also breeds a certain level of humility as well. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm always humble. Right. Um, but knowing, not knowing and understanding that you don't know everything actually puts you in a position of being able to sort of be open to the opportunity to learn something that you didn't know in the first place. Mm. Right. And I think that is, you know, that's also a very fine line of, of where we are right now. Because if we look at the tools that we have, ultimately we know everything. And if we don't have access to those tools, then we wonder, you know, how quickly we can get to that in order to kind of showcase the fact that we might know, even though we didn't know in the first place. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's an example of that would be like, is something as fundamental as using ways to get everywhere, Google maps to get everywhere. And then you shut that down all of a sudden, what's our navigation? Like, how do we, how well do we know the roads and the ground that we're covering on a daily basis? You're suggesting like, well, I don't know. And I get, again, that's, that's just a, a tech example of something that we're using. Thank regularly. God for ways. That's all I got to say. <laughs> thank God for ways and thank God for Google maps and everything else. Because I think a lot of people would, right. Um, drive and and have no idea of where to go. I mean, even Facebook, for example, has provided a new way or Instagram or Twitter to communicate through personal messaging and then also just getting an idea of of where people that you're close with and maybe more afar from are are up to. But taking us all the way back to to the original point around you forecasting media and trends with the phone, uh, I look at what you've done is groundbreaking from, from the perspective of of media as an athlete entrepreneur and using that as one of your three pillars, as you've mentioned, media, entrepreneurship, philanthropy. But the other big challenge in football is the, not only that, that being a helmet sport and being on the defensive side of the ball as a linebacker, you're, you're less recognized than say an NBA player or a soccer player without a helmet. We know that to be true by research, but the other notion that traditionally the NFL has pushed teams in front of their players mm-hmm. and they've built that business, a massive one, versus modern times looking at the NBA and what they've done since the David Stern era of pushing players in front of teams, you were able to 
as as one of very few non-quarterbacks. Hell, there was a quarterbacks club at one point, <laughs> right? Non-quarterbacks to create a brand leveraging media. Was that something that, again, you saw with the phone? Like, heck, this is something I want to do combined with – You know, to be honest, I, I don't think I even paid attention to that. I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I remember walking into the locker room when I played on the Giants and trying to find the, the smartest, I believe, to be the soon-to-be most successful – um, person that I could look up to and, and follow and it was Strahan and I was like look I just want to learn from this guy I've mm-hmm. always been a learner right that curiosity is based in the fact that I just want to learn and I think uh, my father always said you know if you're the smartest room smartest person my father always said if I'm the smartest person in the room you need to you know get another room find another room find another room hmm. and so I walked up to Strahan and asked him you know so how do you survive in New York City or how do you learn in New York City or how do you sort of make your way through New York City. He was like, you know, smile, say please and thank you, shake hands, look people in their eye. It's very s- simple, simple aspects of playing, um, of playing the game. So that's, you know, it, I don't think I was mindful of everything that was happening. And, mm-hmm. and although I wasn't mindful, I did recognize things were happening. And I had the fortunate opportunity of a lot of good friends being around me and people teaching me different things. And there was one particular person, his name Kunta Littlejohn, and he's the one that got me to rock bow ties. Mm-hmm. And I bring it up because this was a life-changing moment when I got hurt, when I was on the Giants, and came back home and went to go see him and saw that he was like 140 pounds. My friend was like 300 pounds before I saw him. And he looked up on the counter and he's like, look, I have cancer, right? It's not something easy to sort of express or to be able to say to anybody when anybody yeah. has cancer. But when you're 21, 22 years old and you find out your friend who's 23, 24 has, has cancer, it affects you. Mm. And I remember he had always said, you know, if you want to be somebody, you got to rock a bow tie. And I immediately went to go put on a bow tie after I went to go see him and went through this evolution where I was rocking bow ties. I wasn't really telling people why that was the case. And then I was wearing bow ties. I was supporting different causes and, I was trying to help and tell his story in in a way. And then I got to the Bengals and then we started Bowtie Cause. And it was really a a movement to allow people to express who and what they believe in and who they wish to support, even though they may not have a voice. And I say all of that with the representation of Bowtie Cause to say that is actually what elevated my brand and that's what elevated sort of this level of visibility. And this is what allowed me, and I'm so fortunate that Kunta said this to me, if you want to be somebody, you got to rock a bow tie. He actually allowed me to be somebody, hmm. right? To clear the clutter from everybody that wore traditional suits. To clear the clutter from those that wore track suits. For, to clear the clutter from all the rest of the people that were wearing T-shirts where I was able to rock a bow tie. Yeah. And people would come up to me and ask me my opinion because they saw – they were able to see me, right? So from the media perspective, from the entrepreneurial perspective, uh, from the philanthropic perspective, that was all because of Kunta. Hmm. And so, yes, I was clear and I was able to see what was happening in the world – but without him saying that, I don't know if I'd actually, I, I don't know if I would have actually had the opportunities that I've had today had it not been from him allowing me to sort of express myself, but really support him. Mm. And, and Kunta was battling at the time stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
and and so not only were you close and that and that was uh and that was a a cause that was authentic and important to you and the advice that he gave you but then you put that into action and started Bowtie Cause which is where we first met yeah back at the New Orleans Super Bowl and by the way Kuntz is great now he's back up to I think he's like 320 now it's so amazing he, he, his his weight is on his, his he's feeling good he's laughing you know he's one of my closest friends and you know our families always hang out together, but you know this is an example of, of a guy that you know has battled through a lot. You know, I met him when I was, I think we were in probably like 11th grade, and we went to an engineering camp at Penn State. Uh-huh. And he came from one side of the tracks, and I came from the other side of the tracks. And he was teaching me about you know his neighborhood or his hood, and I was teaching him about my suburbs and where I'm from. Right. And it's like you know we just kind of hit it off. But uh, I always talk about. Um, you never know why people come into your life, and a lot of times people pass them by because they don't believe that there's really anything to it, right? right. You could have came into my life, and that could have just been it. But then there's moments where you just recognize there might be something different about that instance. There might be something different about that moment. Or just instead of just saying, like, you know, have a good day versus say, you know, so what exactly are you doing here? How are you? Yeah. Right? And be able to connect with them. It can it can change the trajectory of your entire life and can put you on a path that you didn't even know was possible. Mm-hmm. So one of the the first at the time, it, it sounds uh, off to even suggest that athletes weren't calling themselves or building brands or platforms. Now every athlete in high school, you look at the Lonzo Balls of the world or their brands and the platforms and that... Freshmen. That, yeah. You <laughs> have seventh graders that are building their brands, brands right. if you will... On social. Right. That verbiage has become ubiquitous in sports, but but you were using... Have like millions of followers by the time they get to high school. It's yeah. crazy. Your platform, what you had created, the relationships you built in the NFL, you first decided to do good, and Bowtie for Cause is, is one of them. We have notes in our, our show notes, uh, and all the links will be there, like, like all of our podcast guests, but... You knew little John back in high school. Let's talk about what attracted you to football in the first place. Not a bad temper. Growing up in better. <laughs> That's how, you know. You grew up in Maryland. I grew up in Maryland, Potomac, Maryland. Uh, went to high school at Winston Churchill. That's right. I was born in California. Shout out Watkins Mill, go Reens. Whatever. And DeMatha, Anyways, of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah DeMatha's different. Anyways. Conference. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, football – Football was an opportunity for me not to get in a lot of trouble. I was a rambunctious kid. Uh, I like to question a lot of people because I started off my education in Montessori, right? Montessori was the very beginning. So I was always taught through Montessori to challenge authority, to ask questions, to wonder why, to ask another question, even if the question was answered, maybe you're not satisfied with it. And so, needless to say, there was a lot of turbulent moments in my education, which became escalated moments between whether it's myself and teachers or myself and other people. And as a as a kid, you're, you got testosterone. You, you yeah. know, you, you're aggressive, right? We're all aggressive at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, now whether society makes you a little bit more demure or your you know your attitude just starts to um, be suppressed a little bit more. Regard, you know, in some some way, shape, or form. Yep. But football became a way for me to outwardly express myself, both mentally and also 
way to express myself physically. Now, I will say this. My mom didn't want me to play football. My dad was cool with that. And my mom was, you know, she was more of the opinion, look, you need to co- concentrate on your education. You need to concentrate on, on you know, your classes. You're going to become a doctor. That's what you want to do. She was an anesthesiologist. She was an anesthesiologist, yeah. right? She was, she's in who's who, Dr. Nancy Jones. People she's probably also seen football injuries come through. and She's, she's seen like, everything. She's like, I don't want you to mess son. with your brain. This right. is my child, you know. This child is supposed to be a reflection of what I've done in, in my past. And, you know, she, she was one of, she graduated high school when she was 16, graduated college when she was 19. Wow. You know, she's your perfect SAT score. And she was a, she's a, she's hyper intelligent, you know. And so she didn't necessarily want me to play the game of football. She just wanted me to concentrate on my studies. But I knew I needed football. I think my father knew I needed football as well. And I know we talked about it a couple of times. When you get hit in the mouth, you got to make a couple of decisions about who you are, right? <laughs> and it's great education, but there's something important, especially for young men, uh, to be in, in an environment where you're challenged physically hmm. because that starts to set the stage for, uh, I think, set the stage for um, – a certain level of confidence that you have to have in yourself, um, uh, your your physical presence and how you um, present and you know, stand in front of people. I think that the game of football is important leadership-wise, I think team-wise. I mean, there's a lot of things that you're able to garner out of the game. And, you know, we're, while while the game attracted me because of the, the, the physical nature of it and the temper that I had, the game taught me a lot and gave me a lot by virtue of the principles that it was able to instill within me. How did you not allow the physicality of football be, to become pervasive in in the rest of your life and interactions with people oh, off the gridiron. I was tired. That's probably the, <laughs> I was tired. Go on. How many times after practice do you just want to go to sleep? Right. You don't have time to get in arguments with people afterwards. You're sitting after practice. You're like, man, this is ridiculous. Right. Three days, right? Three days in, in football people Oof. used to have. And now people have one and a half day every three days. Yep. Right, um, so you're tired after practice. You're tired after you're lifting. You're tired after games. You're tired. Um, so there's so because you're so tired, you don't necessarily have the time nor the energy nor do you feel like getting you know angry about other things. Right mm-hmm. now, it's time to move into sort of the next phase where you're you're studying. So it's the balance of the two that I think set. A, a perfect stage where you're able to have that dichotomy of both aggressive and analytical, you know, you're learning and you're physical. And then that is able to kind of create that balance that has allowed you to sort of continue on where you're able to go to college and do the same thing, then move into the world of football um, at the professional side, and then move into the world of business. And, and everything kind of works itself out that way. Balance is important. Yeah. It's interesting. We notice that the duality of a modern athlete who's, performing on field and and she's also an entrepreneur creating media around what she's doing off of it or he's doing off of it and it's not too dissimilar from what we did in school yeah we we had to balance both but what's crazy is now now you know in so many different ways before everything happened in the social side you were told to only do one thing 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's great. I think it's important for people to have that duality. You're you talking know? about pro athletes were like, hey, especially in the NFL, right? It's like do you, one thing. If, if you if that was a, another question, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I got to imagine at the time when you're first doing these big television series like Timeless. And, and oh, like, you're taking it back. Well, you know, the be- team our, did the research. Is the front office. <laughs> that's right. Shout out, Andrew. Is the front office. Is the front office like Dahani's probably approaching the end of his career because he's doing something else and that means he's spending less time on football and it's just that archaic mentality because we know listen training takes two hours a day as people are like how do you play still and do i'm like i train takes two hours i eat well i sleep well and then i have like 14 other hours a lot lot of hours left in the day (laughs) yeah yeah uh did you run into that a lot of that conflict that was every that was that was every single you just had to be confident. Turn of my life. You know, that was every single moment. Like, okay, Dahani, you're doing this. Well, how come you're not focused on football? And I think it's to your point, right? You practice for two hours. You maybe watch film for another two hours. So that's four hours. Yep. And then I don't know. What else are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know, you, you, you maybe eat. Okay, there's an hour. That's five hours. Last I heard, there's 24 hours in a day. So I got 19 <laughs> left. Okay, maybe I, maybe I sleep for... I don't know, eight? That means I got 11 hours left in the day. Let me occupy it with something that I feel as though is going to make me a better person. And I think if you can make yourself a better person, you can make yourself a better athlete, Mm -hmm. right? And I I think that archaic mentality of what you touched on actually hurt in some ways, um, but allowed me to play for 11 years. Mm -hmm. So I had to navigate, and I've always been sort of, I guess, unconscious of it being able to sort of move my way through the world, even though the world wasn't ready for me to move through it. Mm -hmm. So I had to deal with my own trials and tribulations with people that didn't understand why I was doing different things. So while I was on the Giants, right? So I was doing shows with Jay Glazer and I was doing shows with Strahan. And then 2004, the NFL Network came out. They were like, hey, do you want to be a sideline reporter? I was like, sure. So I was one of the first reporters on the field for the NFL Network. The camera was attached to the truck with a cable. Yeah, that's how long ago that was. Okay, <laughs> now just to let everybody know, all of the cameras are wireless. Yeah, okay, <laughs> just let you know. So this is the truck was attached to the camera, and you had a long, long cord. Yeah, right. So that was one of my first shows, and then after that show, then I had a fortunate opportunity to do a show called Timeless. And I was the first player. I mean, you can check the facts. I don't know. I think it. I facts think are checked. Facts are checked. First player right. to have his own show while he was playing at the same time. And Timeless was like basically E60. What E60 yeah. is so now. So what so E60 is now is exactly Timeless. Right. And we were on either right before or right after Bassmasters. You guys Masters. won an Emmy. Yeah, we won an Emmy. Yeah. I guess I do have an Emmy, huh? You do, man. Dang. So so wait. So, so. Wait, so <laughs> I want to talk about this. But I, but I first want to acknowledge... Um, is not it true just, the, the first player to have his own show on TV while he's playing? I think that's true. Oh, for sure. Dang. So the yeah. And, Shout um, out to Redline Films. That's right. <laughs> so so back at, at Michigan, which is where you went, and you talked the greatest about, university in the world established in eighteen seventeen. We have more Fortune five hundred, you know, CEOs and you know, owners of companies. I mean, we pretty much run the world. I mean, <laughs> I went to University of Michigan because there's a globe, and they had the audacity to put the block M on top of it. Because that's what we do. We just run it. <laughs> okay. As you can tell, I'm very proud of my university. Very proud. You also said though, if football five hundred thousand strong, shout out to Michigan. You also said if football <laughs> didn't work out, that you knew you would have the platform of education and the network, as you mentioned. Uh, if you go football to Michigan, ended up you can working call. out. 
you, but so it, did the platform. True. And very fortunate for that. And it's true. It's like University of Michigan, you can call anybody and they'll be there for you. Mm-hmm. That's it's one funny. of the most, more, most amazing it's the most one of the most amazing networks that I've ever been exposed to, and I'm so grateful for the university. I mean, I I can talk about it for days. Well, let's let's talk briefly or touch on right the the modern athlete, but there's another level of an athlete that's accomplished what you have that also won championships. So you won the '97 championship. You're on that team with Woodson. Uh, you played a year with Brady, or more than one year with Tom Brady. It was two years. Was he on that team too? Yeah, because I was. Uh, he was there ninety. He was drafted the same year that I was. Yeah, yeah. So we played. You know, he was there one year before I was. Right. He was a fifth year senior. And Charles Woodson's done great on television as well. Done great. He's crushed it. <laughs> crushed it. He crushed it with his ascot and everything. Right. You know, people can say what they want about Chuck Chuck Woodson, but he's. I think he might be one of the the, the best commentators, if you will, or one of the best analyst that's out there because he not only has a sort of a capacity to break down the game and express his opinion, but he's also played the game and been the best. I mean, think about how many Heisman trophy winners have been able to excel as he has. Um, What was that? Oh oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about, yeah. There's Desmond Howard too. That's Michigan too, right? Yeah. Okay. Just just, just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Um, Two great Michigan players that are doing a great job on TV that have both won the Heisman. Yeah. Um, yeah, Michigan, but um, being able to sort of translate the two and work them together. Was Charles Woodson a captain? Yeah, I don't remember. Was Tom Brady a captain? Yeah, I don't remember. Were you a captain? Nope. What do you think makes a great captain? What makes a great captain is someone that's able to listen to everybody and to be able to find what voice really needs to be heard. I think that's one of the most important things. A captain is – actually, I would say this. There's a couple of different captains, and that's why it's not always one captain. Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's two captains, three captains, four captains in order to sort of make that that table, if you will. Um, But I think one one captain is really good at being able to hear what the team is saying and communicate that to the coach. I think there's another captain that has a spark of energy that is contagious – that is able to sort of move the team in a different direction um, if need be, or to start them off in a way that needs to be established. I'd say there's another captain that's sort of an outlier um, that makes up the game, and and not makes up the game, but plays the game in a a way that some people are in awe of, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of like the person that I think is – it's like the bubble player, right? You kind of untouchable because you don't know exactly what they're going to do, but when they do it, it's something special. It's like an Ed Reed. Right. He's just, you know, half the time, I'm, I'm watching Ed Reed on film. Half the time, he's out of position. Oh, yeah. Half the time, he doesn't know. I, I'm sure. I haven't talked to him. But you watch film, it's cover two. I'm like, you're supposed to be on the far hash, and he's in the middle of the field. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's like, what Bill are you Belichick doing? Bill and Tom Brady say he was by far the hardest opponent to prepare for because they just didn't know what the because hell he was Because it was instinct. Yeah. And maybe that's the other captain, the instinctual, in, the instinctual captain, the, the leader captain or the spark captain, and then the moderator captain. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of combine those three and they work really well together – 
you'll have a better litmus test and understanding of how the team is made up, and you can go out and win anything. Yeah, Sam Walker, who's been on the show, talks about it through the lens of his book called The Captain Class, and and what you mentioned around being able to listen, and in his words, be the servant, I think are two really important qualities that often clash with best player on team, because you have to, as best player, you know, by example, perform at a high level, film, playbook, all of that stuff is memorized, and it, it, it can be conflicting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to focus all of your time and energy, or should be. Now, are there best players that also best captains? Yes, but as we found in this book, few and far between, because of that kind of the balance of being able to do both, which I suppose is similar to the rarity of of uh, athlete entrepreneur. So what are the, the qualities that you find in captains? So I've been a captain for most of my life, but I think that's been by default. I, I in that like my role on the team has often been as as an alpha male, more of an extroverted personality. I like to give locker room talks. I like to motivate my teammates. I've gotten better at being more personal as I've gotten older. But what I've learned You're from the one playing in the with, middle of the huddle, with going a, crazy. Yeah, I go a little bit crazy in the huddle from time to time. <laughs> I think people don't really get what happens in the middle, or just... <laughs> that'd be that. That would be a an interesting sort of podcast, sort of the the nature of the man in the huddle. Because I think people change when they're in the huddle. But but keep going. No, you're right. I mean, and, and so you so lose to, your mind when you're in the middle the of the point, huddle. To the point, to the point, right? It's like you know. In lacrosse, you're, or if you're a quarterback, you're being called on in the huddle to do something. You have to start thinking about, okay, how do I get my mind right? How do I take care of this task for the betterment of the team? Um, as a captain, having that skill of listening, being able to, to, to serve the players, being able to basically say, I'm the CEO of this company where the best CEOs in the world are often the first to say that I lack the skill sets of my COO, of my CFO, of my CSO, of my CRO, of our CMO. They're far more talented than me. But what I do is try to put them in a position to succeed. And so thereby, I believe the captain should almost be the selfless person on the team who can bridge the communicative gap between coach and team, but also make sure that, hey, the best player is ready to fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, example of a guy who does both, Tim Duncan. Agreed. Uh, but they say that he, he could have been a 30-point-a-game scorer, so he made that sacrifice. And that's tough to do with today's, in today's day and age when you have player contracts that are built on incentives of scoring. There's, there's a lot of pieces to the proverbial there. sports puzzle that hinder, <laughs> that, that hinder the collective. You know, you can watch any game right now, and you're right, right, in terms of, in terms of basketball or football. Football is based upon yardage, the amount of tackles that you make. It's a very it's, – it's, everything is built around the, the self or in a selfish manner in order for you to get paid, even though the nature of the game is for the team. But I think a, a, a team that's done it really well, you know, you go back to Michigan. Um, Tom Brady's done an excellent job at the Patriots. And I think the stat is he's thrown to something like 64 people for touchdowns. And I don't know who's closer, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of reaching that stat. I don't know. I'm sure there's not anybody even near him. Yeah. But that team element has essentially been built throughout and is the culture of the Patriots. And yep. we wonder why they're so successful is because they're built around that notion. Sure. People get paid for other things, 
but they're more concerned about the championship so that they can all win collectively collectively together and then some people might leave but other people might stay but that's that's how they've been so successful how was the two teams your rookie year and then the team that you were an impact player on as as more of a veteran from the linebacker position uh with the eagles what made those two super bowl contending teams you played in two super bowls well my my first Super Bowl, I was on the Giants, and that's actually where I tore my ACL. So I saw it from a whole different lens. I mean, when you're hurt, you're on IR, they don't really care about you. No. You know, unless you're a first-round draft pick and they need you to stay engaged with the team and be a part of the energetic factor of what is moving the team. Right At the if time, you were a six-round six pick, so you were pick. worried that this was going to be it? I was like, I'm out of here. Hmm. And fortunate enough, I actually got to play golf with uh, the guy that did my surgery a couple of weeks ago up at Wingfoot um, for the hospital for special surgery. You golf, you sail, you know, you do about everything. You're a globetrotter. I know that. <laughs> well, I, I like the, the finer things in life. <laughs> I like to con- connect with my environment. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so you're so, on the sideline. So yeah. I'm, on, I'm on the sideline in that game, and you see things from a completely different perspective because – you're you're just watching and you're really not a part of anything that's happened because certain teams they allow you to participate in some of the activities or go to some of the games but a lot of times you're left at home when teams are traveling so i saw the the game from a completely different lens and then when i was on the eagles and then we went to the super bowl that was that was amazing but i would say this it was one of the best experiences of my life but i will tell you that the game is so much different when you're playing the Super Bowl in large in part because your schedule is so disrupted. So sometimes that takes a lot of the fun out of the game. Out of the Super Bowl. Yeah, it takes that out. I mean, people don't get to see that, but you know, the you know you play football, you play sports, everything's based upon a schedule that has been ingrained yeah. with you since the very beginning, right? You show up to the, the game two hours before you're on the field an hour and 45 minutes mm-hmm. before, and then you're getting coming back in and then you're getting dressed an hour and 30 minutes before. And then it's an hour and 20 and everybody goes out as a team and goes to practice and so on and so forth. The clock keeps winding down. And when you get to the Super Bowl, that whole clock is at a skew. Wow. And so that's one of the other interesting pieces of why it's so difficult to win the Super Bowl your first year, because you haven't been able to set a schedule for yourself. And that's why the Patriots are also good is because they've won a bunch of times. They have that schedule. They understand what it's going to be or how it's going to be different um, from the regular season. And they're able to move right into that. But I think all of that also relates to how do you transition from whether you're at Michigan and you're going into the National Football League or whether you're at another school going to the National Football League or going into lacrosse, right? And then how do you transition out to the sort of the next world, right? It takes a little bit of time to level set and then find your rhythm, right? Because you're probably not going to win the first time. It's just like entrepreneurship. Yep. The first company you start, you're probably going to fail. The second company, you might, you might win, but you're probably going to fail that one too. Yep. And then the third one, I get it. This is why or how or what I need to do in order to be successful. So I personally relate a lot of things back in my life to the game of football and all the little nuances that it taught me. Yeah, I think that's also why we see a lot of multiple-time founders and successful entrepreneurs. They sell a company, they start a new one, sell it, start a new one, sell it. Once they've figured it out. Once you figure out that equation, you're set. Mm. Sometimes the stumbling into different areas takes some time. And that happens with majority of the people. But even the... Even the the entrepreneurs that have sold their companies 
one, two, three times over. They failed more times than they've been successful. We just don't hear about it. Yeah. And you started your transition, as we talked about earlier, while you were playing, and that was in media. And you did some sideline commentating, and then you became a host of Timeless. And then we did Dahani Tackles the Globe. Did some appearances oh, how I on missed my show. Man versus Food. How, how, what, what are some of Y'all your favorite moments? Y'all get out moments? there and petition to get my show back on the air. <laughs> Maybe it'll help me get in better shape. You're in great it, shape. Because this world of business is tough. Yeah. Eating all this airplane food. Is that what you're doing? Oh, man. It's What's tough. your airline? Delta. Delta. Ed Bastian, if you're out there, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I, live on, I live on Delta. Everybody's like, where do you live? I was like, 3D. Yeah. They're like, what is that? Well, clearly, you don't fly enough. <laughs> and no, for all of you listeners out there, I don't always get bumped up to first class. It just so happens that I fly so much that my miles and my status puts me there. Right. And I'm very fortunate because Delta is pretty much amazing. But yeah, so, so the, the, the transition um, the transition of, to, to business. That was a wonderful it, it, Delta it, plug, by the way. Who aren't a sponsor of the show, but hey. <laughs> but if maybe like they to- will be now. <laughs> maybe, maybe they will be. But yeah, I mean, if you're traveling on airplanes all the time, unless you're sprinting between gates, sometimes it puts a lot of stress. Oh, big time. a lot of stress on you. So Yeah. So host from Sideline Reporter, do behind the scenes, do networks or production companies approach you and say, hey, we've got this idea, um, or we think you could, was your agent at the time, was like, You've got this prowess on camera. We want to we want to pitch a couple of networks on you hosting, and uh, and we think you could do this and that really well. Like, or, or was that your no? That was I mean concept. That, that, that was all born out of interviews. I just have fun on interviews. You were taking interviews. Uh, no, I, I did interviews when yeah. I was on the Giants, right? And so yeah. those interviews translated into the NFL Network saying, "Look, you got a good personality." Do you think you'd be cool on asking some questions to people on air? Are these like the interviews during like interviews. scout mode? Of no, like no, draft? these are interviews. These are interviews with like the Yes Network. Or oh, gotcha. MSG as a player. As a player. Yeah, they're sitting down before the Super Bowl and you're talking and you're doing media day. Exactly. Gotcha. And I remember Strahan always telling me they're always watching. If they want to find you, they will find you. Mm-hmm. People will comb through the tapes at that time, VHS. <laughs> tapes at that time they will comb through the internet and they will find that clip of the person that they want and they will give them that opportunity and my breeze i always say the breeze of opportunity can come from anywhere the breeze of opportunity approached me with the nfl network and then it moved from the nfl network to timeless and then timeless moved to a couple other different shows and then became Tahani tackles the globe yep and then that moves to a couple other different shows. And now I have my show on CNBC called Adventure Capitalist. Yep. So it's that evolution of those opportunities. And oh, by the way, half of those shows, if not all of them, have be, been because of the relationships that I've been able to build and the people that I said please and thank you to at the very beginning because Strahan suggested I do so. And also because of the bow tie that I've always continued to rock and the visibility that it's allowed me to have to cut through that clutter. And people remember you by that. Remember it. From the show, multiple shows that you did before Adventure Capitalist that we'll talk about, you then published a book called The Sportsman, Unexpected Lessons from an Around the World Sports Odyssey. Yes. So that when I, when I called you a globetrotter, an adventurer, a traveler – like you were literally traveling the world, building, forging relationships, some that you had that were pre-existing and new ones, 
the the wildest one that that we read about was the Mexico City becoming a lucha libre wrestler, which my listeners know. My name know is I'm Oro Solido. <laughs> Oro, Sol- Oro Solido. Solid but you gold. Won. Yeah, I won. What are you talking what about? Mean, what am I talking about? Did you grow up wrestling? Michigan, man. We always win. <laughs> and yes, I did wrestle, Ridiculous. by the way. Yeah. So you know, it, was, it, it came naturally to me. But who didn't watch WWF? Now I know it's called WWE. Right. Right? But Attitude Era, WWF, baby. Who didn't watch? I'm surprised. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Did you but, ever consider that career, by the way? You got the personality, you got the size. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Yep. Come on. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was more rock, Triple H, Stone Triple Cold. Triple H was good. Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Um, McFoley, Taker. Undertaker. That's my guy. Undertaker was legend. Legit. But legend. No, I mean, Tackles the Globe was also one of those life changing moments. And also, something that sort of, I think, I think it honestly elevated my athletic ability on the football field. And I'm a big proponent of people being able to play multiple sports. And a lot of parents that are out there always say, you know, my kid is playing soccer. He's on travel soccer. He's on XYZ Development League. And he's doing this, that. And, you know, we live in Chicago, but we're playing, you know, games in Iowa. We're playing games in Georgia. We're playing games in California. I'm like, sports are meant to be played in a diversified manner so your body doesn't necessarily get stuck in one thing. So it's able to sort of develop in a lot of different ways because you don't, you don't know how soccer affects the game of football or how football affects the game of baseball or baseball affects the game of squash. I became a better golfer because of my squash game. Mm-hmm. Right. So tackles the globe. I traveled to 20 different countries. I played 20 different professional sports. I competed in 20 different sanctioned events, everything from Prado Saray to Muay Thai to sailing, which I still love, to high lie, to mm-hmm. sambo, to swinging. I mean, there's so many different sports that I played along the way. And I did. I played it while I was playing on the Bengals. Yeah. Matter of fact, the first the first show that we shot was actually in London and it was for uh for rugby. And I thought that the GM at the time, Pat Young, was was challenging me personally because he was like, look, if you're gonna do this show you know, in his British accent, which I can't do right now. Right. But if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going, oh, I can't even do it. I can't even do it. But if you're going to do this Mate. Tackles the Globe show, yeah. right? If you're going to do this show, if you're going to do this show, I can't even do it. I can't do it. That was much better though. Is it, was it better? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so he's like, if you're going to do this show, I want to see is football tougher than rugby or rugby tougher than football? I was like, wow. So he really that's wants a badass to- question. Right, it's, and it's a true question. Right, a lot of people ask that. A lot of people don't know because a lot of people haven't played. And this is, by the way, this is 2007, okay? Then maybe it was 2006. 2006 going to 2007 because I actually got cut by the Eagles, I think because I was distracted, right? So just giving you an insight into yeah. the game, right? You're doing too much. We're going to get rid of you. He's distracted, yep. Distracted. So it's like, okay. So then I get distracted, right? They're saying I'm distracted. So they cut me. I go back to California. I start training in California, which was also part of it because I didn't want to train with the team before. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the distraction. He's in California. He's not in Philadelphia, which is fine. Look, I think as you play the game of football or as you mature, um, you start to learn more things about yourself that allow you to become a better person, right? Remember I mentioned to you that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so – I got cut. I went to California. I started training there. And then I got picked up by the um, New Orleans Saints. Yep. And so 
right before I went to training camp, and maybe some people know that, maybe a lot of people don't know it, know this. Right before I went to training camp, they said, hey, you know that show, uh, our idea around Tahani Tackles the Globe? They want us to do a little pilot. Would you mind flying from California to New York City to spend a day doing a couple different sports and doing a little pilot so we can go out there and sell that tape before you go to training camp? So, mind you, this whole distraction, getting cut, not necessarily have a job, I'm sitting in California, and I get this phone call. So, what did I do? Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> right not? Yeah. So, I flew from California, went to New York City, and did this whole thing, went back to California, grabbed all my stuff, went down to New Orleans, and half the time while I'm practicing, I'm thinking to myself, man, I love football. What's up with this little sizzle tape? When are they going to start sending it to me? I yeah. remember the day that they sent it to me. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And then guess what happens? I got cut by the Saints. Hmm. I got cut by the Saints, and then I had an opportunity to go to the Bengals. I got there, and you know, I, I was able to join the team, and I got the call towards the end of the season of the, my first year there, which was 2007, they said they wanted me to go do the pilot for the show. And that's when Pat Young said to me, hey, we want you to do rugby and football. You know, is rugby tougher than football? And that was a basic premise of Tahani Tackles the Globe. Are all these sports tougher than football? It wasn't really about the culture, if yeah. you will, and about the cities and the places and the people and the community of these different sports. It was about the comparison of the game of football to the rest of these sports. Hmm. And so... You know, I, I was able to take off, and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my agent. I didn't tell my coach. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to think that I was distracted. Yeah. Right? So all these things in the back of my mind were still affecting the way that I lived my life. Yep. And so I went there. I did it. And I would say this. My life changed during that first episode when I met a horse named Harry. <laughs> explain <laughs> <laughs> i met a horse named harry and we went for a fox drag and i was on this horse and during a fox drag you have to jump a couple fences yep right that's fox hunt or fox drag right we're not hunting fox we're dragging the scent the dogs are chasing the scent they're not actually chasing a real fox and so the first fence was good and the second the first fence was good. The second fence was bad. Yeah. And I went over the horse. Oh, really? And so whole my my entire life kind of flashed before oh my, my gosh. eyes, right? Now, mind you, when I was on the on the Bengals that first year, it wasn't a guaranteed con. It was it, when I was on the Bengals that first year, that was a one-year contract. Because mm -hmm. when you get cut after being on a you two lose teams, leverage. You lose leverage, right? I had been cut. It was my, it was it would have been my fourth team. Because I played my contract out with New York. I played my contract in Philly, but then it got cut. And then I was on the Saints for training camp, and then I got cut. So you've got cut twice. That means you go into a one-year contract where they're trying to evaluate if you can focus on the game. Hmm. right? Just to kind of put it really even. So while I'm falling off Harry and heading down towards the ground and looking at this rock looking up at me, all these things in my life are kind of going through my mind. I can cycle back to the time when I was in Montessori school. I was cycling back to the time I almost got kicked out of Michigan, cycling back to the moment when I got into the league and I got let go, cycling back to the moment when I was distracted and I got cut. And then I went down to New Orleans and got cut. Like, And then I went 
and I don't necessarily I have a one-year contract. Am I going to get another contract? If I hit this rock and I hurt my face and I hurt my body and this horse steps on me, I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Plain and simple. So I went down. I avoided the rock. I was okay. The horse barely grazed me. I got back up, and I said, I'm okay. At that moment, my perspective of why I was doing the show and the team that I now was on became so much more clear. So I wasn't a captain when I was on the Giants. I wasn't a captain, I don't think, while I was on the Eagles. And I wasn't a captain when I was at Michigan. Mm -hmm. But when I was on the Bengals, I was a captain every year for four years. So, so, how, what, so what that was the evolution and you going back there, you, you were able to maintain your, right, your but, duality. Right. The duality is what allowed me to be a better leader, mm -hmm. to be a better player, to, that's to enjoy what I life to... in a completely different way. And that's why, that's why I love how the media now and this brand building and these platforms allow people to express who they are because I think that people are actually better players because, because of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And if it's, it's something that's true in, I know people use the word authentic all the time and it's actually kind of gotten lost, if you will, it's become just pretty agnostic. But if you're, if you're able to be authentic and it's something that's to who you are, you're actually able to sort of, um, you're able to play the game a lot better. You're yeah, able you're to able to train those things, skills. Train the skills. And your neurosynaptic fibers start firing in a different way, mm. right? That's that's a lot of times what we don't think about, right? How does your mood and how does your experience and how does your life affect the way that you play? Not necessarily from a physical standpoint, but from a neurological standpoint. I'm not a scientist, yeah. not, neither a doctor. But I know that I competed in these 20 different sports, 20 different countries, I would get back from training overseas and doing the show a day before training camp. Now, you're probably one person that could get this, right? I come in, <laughs> let's just say, from Australia on a Friday night. And I land, let's just say, 8 o'clock. Yep. I have to be at training camp on Saturday at 8 a.m. Think about that. I've been gone for five weeks, five different countries, five different sports, nothing having to do with football. I get back on a Friday night, 8 o'clock. I have to be at training camp at 8 o'clock, and I have to go straight through the season. Mm -hmm. I never missed a game. Never missed a game. Was a captain every year. Highest tackler of, of the entire team those four years straight. Yeah. What a resilient time in your life then, going through multiple cuts, and then that resurgence. There's, there's three things that I take away from that. One, it's it's obvious that that you're an advocate for multiple sport athletes. You you've played twenty freaking sports <laughs> during that all, all of them. So most parents that ask that question, even kids, should I play multiple sports or should I sport specialize? They think about it linear, linearly in the in, in to the point of skill acquisition, and and it's often explained. Multiple sport athletes are good because you can, as you mentioned take skills from golf into soccer and soccer into football and football into basketball and basketball into lacrosse. That's true. That's part one. Part two is that having exposure to different teams and different people can help you become a better communicator. You were on camera, so you learn a lot from you know, the way that you are conversating to the way that you're interacting, how articulate you are. 
and there's development there. And that's what you suggested with social media for the modern athlete. But playing multiple sports, you get an opportunity to build multiple relationships, which is really important as you become a leader and you effectively a captain towards that last portion of your career. And the last part that I just thought of, I don't often say this to parents, this will be new and I'll add it to my material, is that that break allows you to stay fresh. And it feels like, yeah, you get back from Australia, it's eight and you have to turn it around by eight the next day and you haven't been doing much training, but you'd be surprised when you get to a point as a professional athlete, and in some cases for some players at a college athlete, you have acquired enough skill, back to that Jack Nicholas lesson, he teaches mm. this to his kid, to where you don't actually have to practice every single day. You more have to spend more time every day on your mind, mm. the relationships, and that time off was probably really refreshing for you. Oh, just to remove yourself from that complete equation of, of football, yeah. the everyday cycle of watching film, practicing and playing and seeing the different types of people and being in and around the game that everybody talks about all the time. Yeah. That relief, right, of what you're talking about, I think that is – uh, an opportunity to really recover. Yeah. I don't think people are able to recover these days. People don't spend a lot of time just sort of taking a break, right? We're in it. We're working tireless hours all the time. And this is relevant in both sports and also relevant in business. It's all we're doing. We're grinding it out. That's all people talk about nowadays is grinding, grinding. I'm grinding, I'm grinding. Yeah. People don't talk a lot about I'm diversifying my thought in order for me to grind more efficiently to be a better person in whatever project or business that I'm working on. So it's something to refresh and to sort of reignite also, right? Because you don't play the game for a little bit, then all of a sudden you miss that game. Right. Right. And that's also very important. Yeah. And so you, you ended up going through those four years, retired in 2011. 2011. Yeah. 2011, 11 years, as you said, in the NFL. Uh, and, and whether it was a part of your vision or not, your grander vision of being a part of media and then doing you know this this global tour of of playing different games and building different relationships is that you're a guy who's been building up 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 and you actually talk about from an investment perspective thinking wide um you launch your own bowtie cafe which is like effectively this this brick and mortar um cafe cocktail kind of convergence of 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 an of a space for people to host meetings and kind of this curated form of a well, Starbucks. It was, look, it was it was because all the people that were rocking bow ties at the time needed a place to go. They yeah. needed a place where they could feel comfortable. So it was so, bow ties only. Yeah, it was bow ties. I mean it wasn't yeah. bow ties only, but right. in the, in, the, in the, <laughs> you're right, yeah. Everybody walked in there had a bow tie. <laughs> no, it was it was it was more of the mentality that the bow tie represented and the causes that people supported. So mm -hmm. it was a safe place to come back. Yep. It was a safe place to come and talk about the causes that you cared about. And that's what coffee conversation and cocktails were, were about. And so, you know, Bowtie caused, birthed um, the Bowtie Cafe. And it's still in Mount Adams in Cincinnati. And people go up there and, you know, they do have those coffee conversations and yep. cocktails. So that's home now for you in Cincinnati after this captainship that you landed for four years. And, and, and the life that you're building, although traveling all the time, uh, you then launch – 
at different times, effectively two advertising agencies at a global scale. They're working with Fortune 500 brands, probably some of the folks that you know through your Michigan network and folks that you've met in media. Then you became the CEO of a, a effectively a job placement company, a headhunter is what many people call it, um, and, and did that well. And so you're operating as an entrepreneur and your experiences are now beginning to overlap and the relationships that you've accumulated over time are starting to um, uh, produce dividends in a way that you started taking advantage of. If, as you look back at you know, these properties and projects that you've built, you know, what do you think? Oh, I, 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 think I'm, uh, I think I'm lucky. Um, and I, I, I think I'm lucky. I think I've learned I think I've grown as as a result. You know, when I was doing Bowtie Cause, you know, I wasn't really kind of getting into this world of bow ties in order to be a marquee entrepreneur. I was doing it because I wanted to support my friend who had supported me, Kunta. And then that became a business model, which, you know, a lot of people are now, even I know Dan Gilbert talks about this, for more than for-profit, right? And I think that this whole notion around building companies that have a greater purpose. I think it was right at the very beginning of that because people from a capitalistic standpoint are only thinking about the almighty dollar. I think a lot of people only thought that way. And now I think cause has sort of found itself into businesses where now people want to work for a company or a person or uh, in a place that represents more than what they're just doing. Um, so that, that became that was Bowtie Cause. And so that allowed me to sort of understand understand and move into sort of this entrepreneurial sector of which I didn't even think was, you know, I didn't even I didn't realize it was happening. And VMG came out of my Michigan relationship, Luke Raymond, and we started that company and that was in New York. And then I was in Cincinnati more often. I was like, ah, I want to start something that actually pays homage or works alongside with Bowtie Cause. And that became Proclamation. Mm-hmm. And then and then what happened was I realized one of the things that I learned as I was I was getting older is like maybe maybe I am too distracted. And sometimes it's important to look at yourself, you know, and say self like what are you really doing and also listen to the people and ask them what they believe the self is doing and actually pay attention to it. I think I had a you know at a at sort of a moment when I said, you know, maybe there is something to be said about doing too many things and really being able to focus on one thing. Dan Gilbert talks about you can't put Kool-Aid into the ocean and really change the flavor. Hmm. <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because, you know, it, it's too big. Right. Right. Um, so I then sold one of my companies, which is Proclamation. I sold it to um, Empower Media. Empower Market. Media, Media House. And, um, in 2016. In 2016. By the way. Thank you. And then I realized that what I really was really good at, and you alluded to it, is, you know, I have, I'm interested in a lot of different things kind of across the board. And I like to say I'm a, um, an inch, you know, an inch deep and a mile wide or a mile wide and an inch deep. But I'm really good at finding, at least I like to think, I'd like to become better at and talk to more people about identifying those that are an inch wide and a mile deep. Those entrepreneurs that Those you entrepreneurs in. that I invest in. And that's where the transition of you know being in the companies and selling those companies 
moved towards key capital and one of our first investments being our recruiting firm of higher higher staffing and then moving into that world and being able to secure an operator that was able to do that and then being able to identify other great entrepreneurs and you know we we've invested in in deals yep. together yep. and being able to find those great multi uh, uh multi-exited entrepreneurs that are going to be great in the next thing that they're doing and how we can sort of empower them through the capital as well as the relationships that we've been able to build and then also maybe in the media side of which we're able to support maybe in the creative way of which we've been able to sort of see yep. uh, and influence it in a different way and that's where sort of my world has started to move towards so you know i talked about before the the breeze of opportunity can come from anywhere and oftentimes it's about recognizing what that breeze feels like and what that opportunity looks like. And then when you see it, you have to jump through. And and I think a lot of times as you get older, you become, how do I say? You become a, a little bit, not worn, uh, you... You don't, you don't feel things as much because you believe that you're set in your ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So the breeze, oftentimes you kind of ignore it because you already feel as though you've done it. Yeah. And I think it's always important to maintain that sensitivity. And so me being able to reflect on the way that I've been and the people that have been around me and things that people have said, I started to listen to that and feel it and started to understand that maybe that's a way that I need to move towards because they're seeing things in me that I haven't seen in myself. Yeah. And so that's what beget key capital. And now we focus on, you know, women and minority-led tech-enabled businesses on the Hillman side. And on the key side, we go after small and you know, medium-sized uh, small and medium-sized companies and really legacy-owned businesses. And so that's where my world is now. And then, you know, a venture capitalist came along as well. Yep. And I love that, right? I love the fact that CNBC had, had the, the notion that someone like Sean Johnson and Jeremy Bloom and myself – could be the investors that represent the athletic world yep. from different points of view, from from the Olympic side, from um, from the the woman side, from the African American male side, and we're able to create this dynamic. Yeah, that's why I love the show so much. And then it play, plays right into key capital. So I feel very fortunate because I've been able to see and people have been able to to sort of express to me, and I've been able to listen, and then things eventually start to sort of develop themselves out. Yeah, it's it's a really great point. The perspective in talking about adventure capitalists, different than Shark Tank, which is also... Oh, it's a lot different. A show. Um, Cuba's not going to get dirty. But it's right, but like the, the perspective that you Corporate's have... Corporate's not going to jump in to some freezing water. Right. <laughs> so that's the Mr. entertainment. Mr. Wonderful is, is definitely not riding a bike downhill in the sand. Yeah, so that's it. So that's the entertainment aspect, the actual you know utility that a viewer gets of what you guys are doing as athletes. But I also think not too dissimilar from the show is that listen, you can hop on other podcasts and talk to you know a, a Reed Hoffman who interviews you and is far more s- smarter and sophisticated than I. And you, know, you guys end up taking that conversation differently than two athletes sitting down. Mm. And when you have companies and startups and founders coming to, to, to pitch to savvy investors who are athletes first, the questions and the value proposition that you deliver back to them is different than someone like a Mr. Wonderful or Barbara Corcoran who... Well, they have different experiences. Different all, experiences, Look, exactly. the investing world is all about experiences and what you can bring to the founders in order to help them be more successful. Yep. That 
that's what it is. And I think it's important to have a sort of a diversified landscape of people that want to be in the investing world because that makes investors better. Yep. It goes back to the same notion of playing one sport or playing multiple sports, being able to take a break and to be able to see things from a different point of view. I mean, it all works in this in the same bucket, yep. right? And that's why we love the show. I mean, that we've seen some entrepreneurs that just have these crazy amazing ideas and we get to experience them firsthand. I mean, we're like the crash test dummies. And I can't tell you how many times after we've been on air or after we've, you know, we've finished filming an entrepreneur will come up to us and say, you know what? I've talked to all these different investors and they've never had the point of view that you all have had Hmm. and sports team leadership. um, Sports provides a way to see life in a different way and different sports provide different perspectives for different people to see things different ways. And so that's why I'm a multi-sport sort of advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's important for people to just try different things because your, your viewpoint, your vantage point will change based upon your experiences. Yeah. And then you can help other people be better themselves and you can take it from that selfless perspective that you talked about before. Yep. And so I think you've grown into this entrepreneur now, an investor, operator, former athlete that has that maturity to see, okay, I have all these interests and I have built all of these companies. Key Capital coalesced everything under one platform. And then on the investment side, you guys have a portfolio of investments worth a total of $100 million. So you guys have a lot of things out there, but you've but the, but the value of 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 a central unit that is now looking out on a daily basis has probably helped you. Which every time we're together and we're walking down the street, you're on the phone with someone else, and it's hard enough to get you to sit down. It's been hard. So this is quite jab, a feat. Jab, <laughs> jab, jab, jab. So I want to. Jab. I, so we usually <laughs> we usually with our with our talent ask some key questions. So I'm gonna I like that in I like my that. notes. I have Q E Y. Right. Right. You like that? I like that. All right. You're the marketer, you know. Q E Y. So are you asking why key? So we is got that, Is that what you're asking? Cuz I I, I want to know if you're going that that direction. N- no, but tell us. Why key? Uh Why not? Why not um have access? You know, why not? You know, I I've always been fascinated with skeleton keys. Mm-hmm. I've always had uh sort of a curiosity around Doors. I've always had a curiosity around velvet ropes and yep. and other people that protect tangible objects that unlock greatness. There it is. I, I think you know it's, it's it's funny. We surround ourselves with so many people that that we believe that are close, but they also prevent other people from getting to us. Right? We insulate ourselves. Hmm. Right? And I think that key breaks down the insulation in order for you to be able to see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why key. And um, I love that. Yeah. So we we like to be able to provide access to people. I mean, we have Key Capital, and then we have the Hillman Fund, and that one is more on the on the tech enabled side. Got it. And um, you know, it, there's a large level. I mean, everybody can read the headlines. Underrepresented minorities and women don't get funded, and they're not able to find a substantial amount of capital in order to to boost their business and coincidentally i was just at the founders founders forum in, in new york a, a great event where mm-hmm. there's 
multiple founders from all over the world. And this one young lady, she came up to me. She was like, you know what? She 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 did this. She's from MIT, so I can't even think like how she thinks because she's just on a whole nother level. But she just basically said that women between the ages of like 18 to 35 that are starting different companies, if they're provided the funding that they need at the onset, they're actually 18% more successful oh, yeah. than most men at that same age, right? Female so, founders are, are more successful. Period. Yep. So, 70% the, of high school valedictorians, female right now. Okay. But at the same time, how many people actually get funded and how much money do they get funded as a female? And so when we look at it from a Hillman perspective, we saw an opportunity. When we looked at it from a Hillman perspective, we saw an opportunity to help more women get funded in order to build their businesses, to help more minorities get funded and build their businesses. Mm -hmm. And we were able to roll that in to be a part of key. And we did that in conjunction with the state of Ohio. We did that in conjunction with Ohio Third Frontier and and all of the great stuff that's happening in and around Ohio, but more importantly, what's happening in the Midwest. Because, you know, look at what you see. The East and the West Coast have done a great job and they will always be where they are. But we have a whole dynamic of people that are right there in the middle of the country that have just as good or great ideas as everybody else. And they need access too. So that's why we like to be positioned in the Midwest where we're able to gain access to these legacy companies from a key perspective. We're able to gain access to women and minority-led tech-enabled business from the Hillman perspective. And then also being able to be right there in the Midwest where we can build something out and we want everybody to come join us. Yep. Three questions left. And these are going to be more fun and our key takeaways. The first one. I know yes, Michigan was the greatest university in the world. <laughs> your phone's over there. We we find it fascinating to see what is on our talent's home screen. So the apps on your home screen, what well, do you which like? Which apps? Yeah, yeah. What's my favorite app on my home screen? Not your favorite. What are the apps on your home screen? You want me to look at my apps on my home Heck screen? Yeah. Well, Watch remember. out. We're not cordless here, unlike the I NFL. All the apps on my home screen? <laughs> we're in a I hotel. We're at the Melrose Hotel here in Georgetown. Every app on my home screen, I don't have anything that nobody else has. Everything from photos to weather to app store, podcast, overcast, tips. I have a couple sports. Oh, golf. There you go. Golf. What about social media? Your favorite social media? On my home screen? Yeah, yeah. Nothing on my actual home home screen. Oh wow! So you don't even you don't even touch social media until you scroll right. I have to scroll right, and so I I, I think I use you. Instagram the most because I like to be creative. I'm a I'm a photographer, so um, art has always been a part of my life. Actually, I wanted to be a I wanted to be an artist, and then I realized that you know when I was growing up, I I didn't really have big birthday parties because I never thought anybody was going to show up. So I would always go to Benihana's of Tokyo. And for those that love Benihana's, yeah. you all know Shout that it's, Steve Benih- it's Benihana's of Tokyo. Okay? It's not Benihana's. Benihana's of Tokyo. And so I would always get surf and turf. And actually, the first one that I went to is the Air Rights Building right up here on Wisconsin Avenue, right here in Washington, D.C. And um, so I was I would always like things that are a little bit too expensive. So I knew if I was an artist, I wasn't going to make enough money. To pay for my yep. Benihana's of Tokyo, so I wanted to become a doctor. Yeah, I was going to be a pediatric neuroplastic surgeon because I knew if I was that, then I actually make enough money for 
for plenty of surf and turf. There you go. So that's great, man. You know, I, I, I get that question a lot. Like, you know, what does economic prosperity mean to you? And I'm like, I, I want to be able to eat really well organically for every meal of the day and not have to worry about like, Oh, that one's $5 more expensive than yeah. that one. That's pretty much it. And like, I, I don't want to be, and I want to be able to travel and I want to yeah. be able to see the world and ask as many questions as possible because I'm not done yet. That's economic prosperity. And to be able to help as many people as possible find their way and ask the question that most people don't want to ask and then give that answer to the person that wished they asked it mm-hmm. and then help them find the way to be able to ask questions on their own. The artist photographer makes a ton of sense for the creative agency uh, entrepreneurial side of things for you because you took your relationships, you took your experience in media and your love for the arts and were able to fulfill deals for brands like Mercedes and Coke. Last question you talked about Michael Strahan's advice to you. A lot of athletes, young athletes and coaches listen to the show. Um, there may be a career professionally for them. There may be a career from a business standpoint or the arts or entertainment. Simplified advice for our listeners. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears on. And um, keep your mind active. Appreciate it, brother. All right. This is a long time coming, but very, very, very well worth it. I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, thanks for doing the show. If you enjoyed Dahani and my conversation, as always, please be sure to let us know and continue that conversation with us on social media. My Twitter handle is at Paul Rabel and Dahani's is at Dahani Jones. Also, if you think I should join him on Adventure Capitalist, let him know that too. I'm trying to get as much of a push as I can Be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes. And given this past weekend's results, I'm going to recommend you listen to an earlier show with New Orleans Saints All-Pro quarterback and Super Bowl MVP, Drew Brees. You can find his episode and all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Shortcut to our show notes, including Dahani's links, social media handles, businesses, as well as other athletes' news and headlines, visit suitinguppodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to this show, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, etc. Shout out to our show's sponsor today, Away Travel. Catch $20 off your suitcase by going to awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel. And that's it, everyone. I'm looking forward to suiting back up with you, as always, next Monday.